0: Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders, while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, this is Rob Hubel. And this is Paul Shear, And you're listening to Well Futile with George Chen.
1: to the first episode of Well Futile. I'm George Chen. I'm going to be your host for the show. Thanks for listening to 9th Floor Radio, 96.9 FM KGPC. And for my very first episode, I got a special guest to come in to the studio. Our guest here is Chris Thompson from a bunch of bands... We can talk about all the bands Chris is in Hi, how are you doing Chris?
2: Hey George, thanks for having me Yeah,
1: Chris has lived out here for a couple years You moved out here from Chicago Yes And was the singer of some of my favorite bands from the 90s Monarchid, Circus Lupus, Skull Control Um, You're not doing music now, right? Yes No music now I'm just focusing on life Yeah, how is is the life focus going? It's going okay Takes a lot of energy yeah, just working a regular job.
2: Yeah. Um, you... I think I think the other thing is, like, um, California is very California, you mm-hmm. know? And so, like, trying to get people to
1: practice, it's just... It takes a lot of energy. I don't know what you mean <laughs> about California being California. That is a familiar lament for anyone who's been in a band. Now, um... Was the first band you were in Were you the singer in the first band you were in Or were you not
2: No I was in some like uh, Mess around bands And I played bass Mm -hmm. Um, So I had like some garage bands And then uh, And this is in D.C. Yeah this is in D.C. Growing up in D.C. And then uh, when I was a senior uh, Started a band called Lunch Me Lunch
1: meat. Lunch <laughs> Is <laughs> any of that available on SoundCloud? Is there any any? I don't know. Stuff there's out
2: there? a. I mean, I think there's some tracks out there. Mm-hmm. We did a seven inch. Maybe there's some other stuff.
1: Oh, I mean, there was the first record. Oh no no no, it was just a seven inch. Yeah. Just a seven inch. And then was the next band Ignition?
2: No, the next band was Soul Side. So okay. lunch meat. It's kind of confusing. Lunch meat merged into Soul Side.
1: Okay. And um. This is like maybe what 81 82 no, no no no
2: this is like uh 80 so lunch meet was around like 85 85 okay and then yeah 86 ish i mean uh soul side went on for a couple more years i mean till 89 or something like that but yeah, I,
1: you weren't in it the whole time yeah
2: i left the band in like uh 87 mm-hmm. 86 and then uh um joined ignition
1: and uh, oh, just as a break, <clears throat> what we were just listening to on the first song you hear on Well Futile is Madhu Mokhtar, a track called A Fleur Tamgak, from this LP that came out in Cell Sounds, Sounds, uh, Afalon. I don't know how to pronounce any of that stuff. Madhu Mokhtar, I know. Also, do you know anything about Madhu Mokhtar? No, I no. don't. He put out an album, and I guess he's Tuareg, and... Uh, the, the language and the culture and they put out a, a film where it's basically purple rain, but in Torek, like it's like the name <laughs> of the movie is something the equivalent of the, the, the water falling from the sky that is red and blue. Like it's basically <laughs> purple rain and he's driving a motorcycle and, and, uh, and has like a guitar and he's like a great guitar player, a sick guitar player. Uh, I listened to that. There's an album that's like the soundtrack for that movie, which I didn't like as much as this record, but, Uh, I have not yet to see the movie, but Madhu Mokhtar, definitely want to get more into that. Uh, You also have a DJ night that you do, correct?
2: Yes. uh, I have a consistent, I do every second Tuesday at a bar in Oakland called Bar 355, Mm -hmm. uh, which is conveniently located at 355
1: 19th Street. I don't know if that's an endorsement, if we're allowed to say that, but that is where you can sometimes catch... Chris, and what's your DJ name over there? Oh,
2: Impostor Rasta. Impostor
1: Rasta. And actually, like, I had you DJ at a night that I used to run at the Nightlight. Yeah. Uh, I guess uh, you just moved to town. Yeah. And I no longer do that night, <laughs> which was called Gargamel. But uh, uh, And you have a pretty wide-ranging collection.
2: Yeah. I'm pretty schizophrenic when it comes to music, and I think, um, I don't know, I used to annoy people a lot. What? When I DJ to DC.
1: Yeah. Like it's 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 a skill. Like I've had people throw peanuts at me when yeah. I DJ'd at the hemlock, you know. It's a thing that happens. Um uh what is your closing night jam? Do you have like a closing time it jam? De- uh,
2: it depends on how angry I am. Like I don't know like <laughs> how much the the patrons <laughs> like how, of the
1: bar
0: have I shouldn't have say been that. Like how
2: little you know, like <laughs> if I just want to play something really obnoxious. Usually I mean, usually there's nobody in the bar by the time. like... Alvin and the remember. Chipmunks? What yeah. are we talking? <laughs> no.
1: Nothing that I that, do that that obtuse. Yeah. Wrong. <laughs> are you a fan of the Alvin and the Chipmunks current? Uh, you have a child, so. I do. You had and I've to been watch subjected
2: those. to a few of those movies. Yeah.
1: Like... But I think what surprises me is who. I mean, the... David the... Cross is in one of yeah,
2: them. Yeah. It's like, yeah. And he's, yeah. I wonder what kind of check that was, you know?
1: It's gotta be a pretty. Sizable. hey it's allowing us to have a new mr show that's yeah. all i care about um and so yeah you moved out here 2013 2013 and uh you've had the your day job is kind of the same stuff that you were doing in yeah. chicago i don't know if you want to talk about that at all
2: uh, i'm like an advertising copywriter yeah and so it's um it's fun sometimes. <laughs> it's so
1: I don't know. It's a nice, you know. It's a nice steady. Did you start channel. that when you were living out in D.C. or does that yeah? That thing you picked up um,
2: in Chicago. I was. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, I tried to do like. Take my life professionally in a couple of different directions that didn't really
1: pan out. And well, so, well let's go through those. <laughs> that sounds familiar. That's really. That's a really, that that's a really dark phase of my life. Between <laughs> uh, between is this like while you're in bands that are active yeah. In bands?
2: Yeah. So. Um, so so just, yeah,
1: chronologically we had we had there was ignition and yeah. Los, Los mordidas
2: Yeah. No ignition, and
1: then ignition. Soulside stop.
2: Yeah, soul side ignition, and then uh, ignition. Or I left ignition, and then they ultimately pulled the plug. And then um, after that, uh, Circus Lupus, when I was in Wisconsin, and kind of hooked up with those folks.
1: Okay, so yeah, I I remember this vaguely. So you guys, you went to college in Madison? Yeah, I went to college in Madison. Okay, I just watched the uh, Chris Farley documentary. I don't know if you know much about him. No. He he was a guy from Madison, and he went to Marquette.
2: Yeah. What's weird is if you talk to... uh, Um, so I worked with in the advertising world in Chicago, and there's there's kind of a blending with like Second City. There's oh, a lot yeah. of there's sense. kind of like there's a lot of people in advertising who aspire to be co- comedy writers, and we were encouraged to take classes there, or whatever. So there's a weird mm-hmm. kind of like cohabitation. I worked at an agency, and they had a writers pool of Second City people mm-hmm. just to churn out scripts. Um, but you would talk to people, and they would talk about, like, yeah, Chris Farley before yeah. Saturday Night Live. And I remember even meeting somebody who was, like, new – because he had a brother, too, I think. Kevin Farley. He's yeah. a comedian
1: as well, yeah. And I, he, he's got a couple brothers. One of the brothers wrote the biography. Yeah.
2: But um, he – oh, he was a camp counselor. Somebody had him as his camp counselor.
1: Oh, yeah, that's right. That was, like, one of the – okay, so this documentary, uh, I interviewed the director, Brent Haji, for my other podcast, which is a documentary podcast called SubDoc. And that's dropping soon. So by the time this is out, you can A, see the I Am Chris Farley documentary and also listen to my other podcast, which is an interview with that director. So I learned a lot about Chris Farley in that time. There was, like, a camp counselor who uh, he worked at a camp, and then there was, like, a counselor above him who saw just his characteristic potential and was like, you got to get on stage. So there's a couple people that are responsible for the ascent of Chris Farley. One of them is this camp counselor whose name escapes me. And another was uh, an improv theater in Madison called The Ark. Oh, okay. If you know about The Ark. That name sounds familiar. Yeah. I mean, I guess you were probably there. So you were there like 86, 87?
2: No, I was in Madison um, like 89. Oh, okay.
1: 89. Like I was there for two years. Mm-hmm. Do you transfer or? Yeah, yeah, I
2: transferred. I like, in four years, I'd gotten two years worth of college done, so... Yeah. <laughs> uh, hey, we've all been there. <laughs> <laughs> but I like in betu- in between that time, like Ignition went to Europe and I would take you know, to take time off and like
1: Or just to go on tour and stuff like that. Who was the singer in Ignition then?
2: That was Alec Mackay. Alec
1: Mackay. So you, what did you have a feeling like I'm gonna write lyrics, I'm gonna be a singer at any point when you're playing bass in that band?
2: I think I always aspired to like um yeah. I think I always like <clears throat> I think a lot of times it's With, like, punk bands, it's, like, you know, there's, okay, I'll be the guitar player. Who's going to do this? And who's going to, you know, and it's, like, you just kind of get assigned a role. So, I think, I don't know.
1: And so, you grew up around that first wave. You guys were a little bit younger than that first wave of Discord. Yeah. It seems, well, literally, Alec is Ian's younger brother. Yeah, Alec's Ian's younger So, like, did that feel interesting? Because I think of you guys, like, there's definitely different waves of Discord punk and DC punk. And I guess even those bands were after Bad Brains. Yeah. Right, So yeah. Bad Brains is kind of like the first wave.
2: Yeah, I would say so. I mean, it's kind of hard. It's hard to make those delineations because there's a lot of stuff going on. There's a
1: lot of crossover. Like if you look at any of your Discogs, or, <clears throat> I guess that's the equivalent of IMDb for our Yeah, worlds. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Discogs. Like there's so much bleed over and uh, literal incestuousness. Like a lot of brothers. Yeah. Like bleeding into other bands.
2: But... I mean, I think that's, I don't think it's right to say, like, the punk scene started in D.C. with the Bad Brains. They're certainly there. But there was, like, I don't know, like, there's another band called Black Market Baby who were around for a long time. They were, I mean, they were kind of older guys Mm -hmm. early on. And there was another, I mean, there was, like, kind of a weird new wave scene. Um, Right. I don't know, there's a lot of weird, like, weird stuff going on. And I think just... I don't know. People latched on to Discord and like, and still talking about it today.
1: Well, I mean, it is. It is like a. Def, I mean, it it was like super regional for one thing. Yeah, right? they yeah. only really ever signed bands in DC. Were there other labels at the time starting out that were like, like, you know, starting that were predate that?
2: Yeah. Well, um I worked for a guy named Skip Groff, and he ran a record store called Yesterday and Today Records, mm-hmm. and he. Um he was like an AM radio DJ. I don't know, he's just like in the biz, and I think he, he made a killing on like selling collectible records. Like You were in high
1: school or something at this time?
2: I don't yeah, I was in high school. But I mean I mean he I think he started the shop in like the late 70s or whatever. He was a guy, he would go to England and buy a brick of damn singles, and then he'd just sell them for twenty years, and every year he'd be like this year it's $3, this year it's $10, oh. this, you know, like, that, but
1: he... Early adopter. Yeah,
2: early adopter. But he had a record label called Limp, mm-hmm. and there's a really great comp called, I think it's, like, 30 Seconds Over DC, and there's, like, I would, that's kind of, like, predates,
1: that predates, predates oh, this is like yeah. Like, 70s, yeah, like, but the first some... wave of British punk got influenced yeah. into... <clears throat> Which is, like, yeah, it's true. Like, in those early days, there's a lot of cities that had basically, like, new wavy bands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that was, like, generally enough to be, like, not to be different enough.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, so then you you grew up in high... Uh, you went to high school, grew up in the D.C. area. Yeah,
2: I grew up in the D.C. area. I went to the... I grew up next door to Bobby Sullivan, and that was kind of my introduction to, um, like, punk. and And what was going on in DC. I remember like being like 13 and um, Bobby's older brother is Mark Sullivan. And Mark was in a band called King Face. I think that's probably his most, he was in a bunch of bands, but um, so when I was 13, he was like the first punk kid I ever saw. <clears throat> and he had a band called the Slinkies, which was
1: okay. I've heard of it. yeah. Which
2: was like predated, which predates um, the teen idols. But it was like, it was Ian and Jordy and um, maybe Jeff was playing drums. And then it was Mark singing.
1: And then Mark went off to college and then
2: it became the Teen Idols.
1: And it was an all-ages scene, right? That, so you were able to get to stuff. Yeah, 13.
2: I think, yeah. I don't really know. For some reason, there was a weird loophole with the laws. And so, like, bars would, like, you know, if you got a cross on your hand or you right. identified
1: yourself as being underage They'd let you and watch. weren't trying to get, yeah. like,
2: sneak beers. Like, they didn't really care. They let you
1: watch, but just stay away from yeah. the bar. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, uh, why, where were you going to school before you went to Madison? Oh, uh,
2: I went out to Boulder, UC Boulder. Oh, really? For a semester. And I...
1: <laughs> How was that? I really hated it. Yeah. But, it real hippie. You know, real hippie. No, nah,
2: it was... What was weird? I mean, it was like... Uh, I don't know. At that time there was it was kind of swinging towards the right and it was like I don't know, it it become a very conservative school and I just felt like everybody I met was there to go skiing and do
1: cocaine and like um Not that there's anything wrong with <laughs> yeah, the, either I was very immature.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I was very immature at the time and I was just like,
1: Oh, I don't uh, I don't know, like yeah. just kinda of freaked out. Did you ever go to Naropa? You know about Naropa? Isn't oh the Naropa older? Institute? Yeah. yeah.
2: I never I never went there. Yeah. No.
1: So then you transferred. You did a couple. You did a semester there. And yeah. You transferred. Then
2: I went back to DC and I went to American University, where I just like took classes part time. Mm-hmm. And then it was kind of like, I got to the point where I was like, I just got to get this college thing done. So mm-hmm. I went to Madison.
1: And you were like in a band that was already touring at that time. Yeah, yeah. And then University of Madison. University Wisconsin Madison. Wisconsin Madison. Yeah. Uh, Fucking lucky. Did you? So then you started Circus Lupus, you met all those guys yes. at, in Madison. Yeah. And when did, did you guys all move as a group to DC after? Yeah,
2: that? it was well um It's kind of a weird story. Um Hey, we got time. <laughs> we got time. So um I was in a band called Unrest and Wait,
1: I did not know that. Yeah. You were in Unrest. Yeah, I was like in uh, What? Like in the very early version. Yeah, of very it.
2: early version. So, so pre Malcolm X. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You, Mark Robinson. And Phil. Okay.
2: But he always had like a cast of characters. And so, um you played bass? Yeah, I played bass. So okay. I wasn't I was in Soulside and those guys had gone off to college and I decided I was at American University, so I was just kicking around D C mm-hmm. and through a friend of a friend, maybe through Brendan Canty, he got put in touch with mark robinson and then just i don't know played with him for like six months
1: or something <laughs> like that are you on any of the recordings
2: yeah yeah i'm oh, on a okay.
1: couple a uh,
2: couple of seven inches and there's a 12 inch i'm on too that yeah. is
1: bizarre i never knew that that is like a bizarre <clears throat> overlap but uh i guess I, again incestuous scene yeah not surprising that's also just how things would work back then yeah so,
2: but then, so, uh, Mark Robinson went to, I don't know why, but he went to University of Wisconsin.
1: Oh, I didn't know that either. I don't know much about him. I yeah. actually emailed him randomly about doing a graphic design job a couple years ago, which we ended up not doing, but, uh, uh I'm a big fan of his,
2: he's a super sweet guy. Yeah, yeah. His, his
1: art, the design stuff for teen beat, I yeah. think is pretty iconic. Like the other, the kind of weird parallel, other big label for that region, the whole Virginia. Yeah dc region they did some really yeah and i love malcolm x park yeah yeah i love i love a lot of those records i love the even the 4ad stuff that's yeah that hits with me um let's take a quick break here at ninth floor radio and i'm going to play a track from a local band called everybody row and we're going to come back here with my guest chris thompson
0: Was to uncover the truth and to cram it down everybody's throat if that's what it took. That man was Frederick Nietzsche. Nietzsche? <laughs> Nietzsche! Nietzsche! Oh, Frederick. This summer, Arnold Schwarzenegger is Frederick Nietzsche in Beyond Good and Evil. God is dead. And I'm going to find out who killed him. This film is not yet written.
1: John Carpenter from his Lost Themes album that came out last year, or is it this year? It came out recently, and Sacred Bones Records. John Carpenter, filmmaker, legendary filmmaker. Uh, Before that, you heard something from White Noise, a sketch group from San Francisco from like 15 years ago. Uh, My buddy, a comedian named Les Milton and Beth Lissick were part of this Sketch radio group. So they had a track about Arnold Schwarzenegger playing Nietzsche. Do you ever read any Nietzsche, Chris Thompson? No, I me, don't. Me neither. I'm very poorly read for someone <laughs> as pretentious as I am. Uh, you're listening to Well Futile with George Chen, my guest today. Chris Thompson, musician, raconteur, DJ. Uh, Chris, uh, we, before that we heard a track by Z's. From their album, XE, came out on Northern Spy last year, and before that, a track called Escape Plan from a local San Francisco project, Peninsula East Bay project called Everybody Row, and I had to turn it down because there was a naughty word in it. So hopefully we avoided the naughty words in that case. Uh, Chris, we were talking about, what's your favorite John Carpenter movie? Halloween. Halloween halloween that is a good one like the music is so good on these actually. yeah like, that's like one of i feel like there's so many people that were imitating the john carpenter synth style lately that's been like a thing that's yeah has been coming in really hard for sure mm-hmm. Giorgio mortar or whatever marauder yeah marauder. the cat people soundtrack that's pretty i'm not great. familiar with that but i that's imagine that's Giorgio marauder awesome. yeah it's a Giorgio marauder also but do you think it was something to do with daft funk being so popular like two years ago I think it's possible. Yeah, they were definitely doing some Marauder vocoder. I feel like really
2: obscure stuff becomes popular again. Like stuff I would never think, you know. I feel like the 90s are
1: really popular right now. (laughs) Yeah. And like that's, this is something that is maybe close to both of our hearts. (laughs) The 90s. (laughs) I feel like this is the thing about being middle aged punks, I think there's a lot of nostalgia floating around and everyone else that is our generation has like sort of landed in positions of power where they actually control things in the media <laughs> which is why there may be like universal order of armageddon reunions and, and oh yeah right coalition sure. documentary a lot of these things which on one level, I'm happy to see something like like I actually have not seen the Carp documentary. Have you seen that? No,
2: I haven't seen that. Uh, but either.
1: I remember having a lot of fondness for that band, and because there's sort of a tragic element to, you know, one person passing away in that band, that I, you know, I feel good about there being some documentation. Yeah, for, for sure. That. I remember I just recently did an interview with Sam McFeeters for my other podcast, and we were talking about this premise. He he was saying he doesn't really cotton into all these. You know I not just punk reunions but punk documentaries he, he just says that he thinks that this argument that they haven't been well documented is is wrong yeah. it's like they've been very well documented actually he's like people have approached him about doing a born against yeah. movie and he's like knock yourself out yeah <laughs> I feel like it's been handled so uh, I, you know I do think that's weird I mean I like thinking back on
2: playing shows in the 80s and there'd always be, some creepy kid there with a VHS camera. And mm. it just, I don't know, at the time, it just seemed so, like, weird. Mm. I don't know.
1: Well, did it feel, yeah, it was like, I remember when the first cell phones came along, too. It was <laughs> sort of like, it was a little bit of like, or what are you, the 1% with your cell phone and yeah. your, your camcorder? And now it's like, it's just not that way anymore. Yeah, But exactly. that's, yeah, like, so do you feel like you had... uh enough documentation of things that you were in? Are you, is there stuff that you're like embarrassed about the documentation?
2: Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I think, I think especially coming from DC Mm -hmm. and I think like, I don't know. It's a, it's a complicated story and I don't think, I think it'd be really hard to like portray it accurately. And I think you're trying to, you know, capture some people's attention and imagination. So there's definitely a narrative that I don't think, was there or a thread i don't i don't think it's all like as well thought out as
1: so you, like for example like well we can go just specifically like band in dc yeah right which was the photo book that i know sharon cheslow and she was part of the yeah the group that put that together um do you feel like it's a scene that lionized itself a lot and you think yeah. that's what it was yeah it's weird yeah when for I, sure yeah when i look at like there is a similar thing there was a book that came out uh, maybe five years ago about the Bay Area punk scene called Gimme Something Better and I almost felt like that was a thing that also just happens in the Bay Area, which is we need to prove that we have some relevance to someone <laughs> outside of the Bay Area. And it's a common it's a common enough yeah, issue. Yeah, and sure. it's a little bit of a you know little brother anxiety. Uh, and because there is like books like What Legs McNeil's book, which yeah. I've never actually read. There's Please Kill Me, and there's this so much photographic documentation from the DC scene, and some of that maybe did have to do with like class and the you know, baby people having access to different materials and technology.
2: Yeah, I think for a lot of reasons. I don't know. Um, it was weird. I remember when Band of DC came out, and I thought it was like a yearbook. I was like, Oh, this is a yearbook, yeah, and I don't, and it was just. There was ma Like, don't get me wrong. I think there's some really amazing photographs in there. I think there was a lot of people, like, yeah, like you said, documenting things. I think the problem was like that the wider audience or the wider, you know, population didn't really care or like connect with it. And I, I think I don't nowadays, know if that's true
1: though, because I feel like that was like that was an export. That yeah. was an export of original thing that a lot of people. We're talking pre-internet, like, because that book came out what like eighty. Five
2: eighty-six, probably like yeah m- more, probably like 87 87 May.
1: yeah that's a pre-internet time where you to find out about those things you had either maximum rock and roll and then along yeah. comes something that's like a coffee table book yeah. version of what you would find in maximum but i re-
2: you know i remember like getting in the back of mrr and like ordering um the search and destroy like ak press she used to sell unsold mm-hmm. sets and i I would buy that, and I thought that was, like, way cooler. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean... Like, the photography was just amazing. They had the um, the big centerfolds, and they're just... It's just a huge format. Yeah, like, yeah. For
1: those, for if you're not familiar, that was a magazine done by Vail, who went on to publish a bunch of different books, and who... Vale's a really interesting character, too, because he had a whole life before Punk, and it was very tied into, like, the beat scene and the North Beach. Oh, no way. Like, City Lights scene. He actually worked at City Lights. I did an interview with him a while ago where we talked about how, basically, he got bankrolled to do Search and Destroy. And also, like, his rent was, like, oh, man, I don't even know. He said $30. it was, like, 300 yeah, yeah, like, not even $300, just something ridiculous. Whatever the 1979 rents would have been in North Beach. This is pretty bonkers, um, but,
2: but yeah. I just thought like I mean, looking at it, you know, ten years I guess after it happened, it just seemed a lot a lot cooler than DC a lot more dangerous. Mm-hmm. And the bands just seemed a lot, you know, weirder
1: out here. Yeah, I like mean, the
2: mutants and I don't know. There's just like a range of bands.
1: Well, I mean, the the, the hardcore thing seemed to kind of make everything more monochromatic. Yeah, and for that's sure. what happened by the mid '80s. Yeah. And I feel like yeah, you guys, at least when it comes to Circus Lupus, this is more of an art rock thing. Yeah. The influences are more specifically like an art rock thing, and it's not hardcore.
2: Yeah, I would say that. Yeah, I think just because there was a lot. I mean, I think the precedent had already been set. I think there were other bands like kind of like playing weird, aggressive, you know, math rock or like complicated, mm-hmm. yeah, music. Yeah,
1: and so like that was. Going back to that, you were still so we're thinking the story where you were still at Madison, yeah, and then you guys all met each other and yeah, yeah. Seth a little bit because he used to live in San Francisco, yeah, and um, so the way it worked
2: was, Mark it goes back to Mark Robinson, okay, yeah. Mark Robinson, I don't know why I went to <laughs> went to school in Madison, <laughs> and uh, my girlfriend at the time, I introduced them because she she was going to be out there and that they should be friends, and so Mark. Um, had a friend named Reg, mm-hmm. and so through him I met Reg Schrader, and then we would like hang out together on weekends and like I don't know, just kind of like go to shows. And you were living in Madison, yeah, too, I was living right? in, okay. I was living in Madison, and he was like, "Oh, we should start." I'm going to start playing with these people. So he introduced me to Chris Hamley and Erica, and they I don't. Know I forget how – they had already been practicing for a little while. Um, and it was kind of insane. Yeah, because Erica Casewell was just like instant – like she never played drums before, and she just kind of instantly
1: That's crazy. Powerhouse. Yeah, she's very good. Yeah. <laughs> for someone who is completely self-taught. Yeah, just weird. Yeah. Um, and, and so did you guys then do a lot of touring once that was yeah,
2: established? Yeah. Um, we, um, they had already started, and then, like, I think Reg was like, hey, I have this friend Chris. Chris, we should involve him somehow. And then it wasn't, there wasn't, um, there's was already, like, guitar player, bass player, drummer, and so I was like, okay, I'll play guitar. And, like, there's just no, no, <laughs> no vocals. Yeah. No well, vocals. We were just going to start out like that, and yeah. I think Chris Hamley wanted to be, Chris Hamley wanted to be the singer and guitar player. And we started out like that and um it was like apparent that I like I just had no business <laughs> <playing>
1: guitar. <laughs> uh, you and, got promoted. Yeah. You, you failed upwards. That's and, what they like yeah, to say.
2: But in a weird way, I think Chris was always mad because I think he he saw that as his role and yeah. so I think he was just like fucking Tom- Thompson, <laughs> just like mess this up. You know, just messed up still- something for
1: me too. No, it's fine. <laughs> We'll, yeah. we'll figure a way to bleep that. Um, yeah, so uh, there was some resentment to start with. That's always the, the resentment at the beginning of a band. That's yeah. always good. That that's I don't lay that foundation early. Yeah, on.
2: I think I think he I think Chris was just upset because the band went in this totally different direction that I I don't think he uh, had anticipated. But we did like because I came from DC and I had friends who were like calling up and booking shows. Like I was just like, oh, I can do this too. And it was, again, pre-internet, pre-cell phone, and you would, like, um, there'd just be, like, a like notepad of numbers, right. and you would just trade numbers, and it was like, oh, there's... And every, you know, couple of months, there'd be, like, some weird, random, like, hotspot, like, Boise, Idaho, or, like, somewhere in North Dakota, so you could... I don't know, it was just kind of, like, weird.
1: Yeah, like, if before... <laughs> Uh, the I was gonna I'll just do the initials B Y O F L, uh, which I don't know if you ever used that. I never. It wasn't useful by the time. Uh you know, the maximum rocket. Yeah, my, yeah, yeah, yeah. Book your own life. Yeah. Uh, there was that thing. Yeah, but like I, I don't know. So this is probably like '88. So it's still like college radio is still a pretty important yeah. thing when you're doing touring and yeah, just knowing just knowing the guy or the girl who is the promoter in the the region is a pretty important yeah. way to go. And you're not just going to Facebook them. Yeah. <laughs> so you just have to be in the know. And so you're saying, because were you setting up shows in Madison also? Uh, I wasn't setting up shows, but we were playing. I mean, we played mm-hmm.
2: regularly. What, we what were, were like-
1: other Madison bands at that time. Was zero Bot around when you were there? I do not remember okay. them. Yeah. It
2: was kind of like a weird, a weird time. Um, uh-huh. There's a band called the Tar Babies who were kind of like oh, yeah. famous Madison band. They mm-hmm. were around forever, and I think by that time, they had mutated into this weird um, party band. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know. It's like kind of they were kind of weird. We were kind of like this weird noisy band, and we were getting asked to like if an amphetamine reptile band was coming through town, we would get asked to play with them,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and. Um, or Touch and Go
1: Band. Yeah. What was it? What else was near there? Milwaukee's pretty close to there. Yeah, Milwaukee's not that far from Chicago. Yeah, Chicago's a. It's a. L- it's a little further. Yeah, up. three hours. Milwaukee's hours. the closest other big.
2: There's town. like Green Bay. We play Green Bay. Mm-hmm.
1: Um. Yeah. Were you ever? You were not a sports guy ever. Were you a sports guy? Uh, because Green Bay, we, that's the big. Yeah. The Packers, there's a There's a big rivalry. Packers culture. Yeah. Oh, I mean, there's I, a rivalry with your school and no
2: with with chicago when i moved to chicago it was like uh, there's a very
1: like cheese heads versus yeah whatever but the then
2: chicago there are weird traders uh-huh. there are people in like wisconsin who like the bears and then there are people in chicago who like the <laughs> yeah
1: goes back to chris farley and the bears it's fascinating <laughs> um <laughs> so then when did you you guys graduate and then decide to move together yeah i was
2: i was the only one in school and um Basically, what happened was we had come to a parting of the ways with Reg, and we kind of, we kind of knew like, um, personality-wise, he wasn't like uh, connecting with us. He just kind—I of, don't know. Um, it wasn't a good fit, mm-hmm. as they say in human and resources. He was what the bass player. Yeah, he was a bass oh. player, and he wanted to take the band and move to Chicago. Mm. He was like he was tight with the Jesus Lizard guys, and he had some Mm -hmm. other, like, connections. And so he saw us all moving there. Um, We had already played a couple of times in D.C. and, like, had kind of, like, um, talked to bands there, and, like, there was, like, kind of a more, like, welcoming environment Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or supportive environment. So the rest of the band was leaning towards moving to D.C., And so basically, I don't know how Seth got in the picture, but um, (laughs) did Seth live in Madison? Seth came up. He was like, he came on this adventure and he was just like, he wasn't doing anything in D.C. And so he was like, I'll drive up to Madison. And I think it had been in the works for, I don't know, I think we've been like toying with the idea. Maybe we practice with him like some weird way. But he drove out to Madison, spent the summer there. They just practice, like we practice. Oh, they practice without
1: you? Would they do that? Yeah, yeah. So uh, that's that's the one thing about being the singer. You can be the singer who comes to the practices and puts things in, or you can be the singer that's just like, oh, I don't have any gear to bring. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Did you at one point, so at one point you were trying to play guitar and sing. Yeah. And then it just turned into you being the singer. Yeah. What were you referenced? Did you have a lot of like. Ideas lyrically or like uh, stylistically about what you wanted to do for vocals.
2: Be- I didn't before um, before it started. No, I think it was pretty organic. I think also with that band, with Circus Lupus, is just a weird band. It's very there's there's a lot going on. So it was like kind of like unconsciously. I think I was like, oh, I gotta like use my voice to accent parts. I don't know. Like mm-hmm. it wasn't like I don't think the ability to be a straight singer with that band would have made a lot of sense
1: right so it's a little speely it's yeah, a yeah. little talky yeah 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 exactly so i imagine that was really like popular the, at the, the time fall too. yeah maybe i don't know, i
2: don't know like i don't i enjoy the fall a lot and i get that comment a lot i don't okay. i don't know i don't really see it
1: but i mean just uh, i'm trying to think <laughs> of like uh a precedent because like yeah like I, I i think well a lot of punk bands it's not like singing like hitting notes, yeah. It's more talky, yeah. But I think snotty. your style yeah. is specifically very talky, yeah, yeah.
2: So, but I think, I think with because that that would be the case with Circus Lupus, it Would you know those guys would practice for like hours, and it's just super um, noodly. Mm-hmm. And so it was like, I don't know. So I would hear rhythms within it, and so I think, you know, that's I. The way I was, like, uh, I was reacting to the music with what mm-hmm. I was trying to do. W- yeah. Whether it be talking or whatever. Yeah.
1: And then, uh, yeah, so th- did you guys, so you toured to D.C. and had played Chosen D.C. And then this guy left, leaves, you hook up with Seth, and then it's time to go to D.C.
2: Yeah. We had, we had gone there, and we actually did some, we recorded a bunch. We, like, did this crazy, like, drove to DC for, like, a week. We recorded and drove back. We played a couple of shows. And because I knew Ian McKay, we I had already, like, been kind of lobbying to, like, get on Discord. Mm-hmm. And he... <clears throat> he originally, with the band, he liked it, but he was, like... Um, he was supportive, but he was, like, I think you guys should, should be on, like, Touch and Go. Mm-hmm. So there was, like... So he said he was going to try to connect us with Touch and Go and nothing. I'll never...
1: Was Corey running that at the time? Yeah, though? Corey okay. was running
2: that. But I never heard anything, you know, about it. Mm-hmm. Like I don't. I think maybe he talked to Corey. Corey was just like, <laughs> no way. No, not happening.
1: <laughs> no, thank you. And yeah. you already obviously knew Ian yeah. from growing up there. Yeah. And was that like the only game in town as far as like a label?
2: No, there were some other... Um... There's another label called Fountain of Youth that I think modeled itself after Discord. They put out some really, I mean, they put out some interesting stuff. There's a lot of, like, interesting stuff mm-hmm. going on. There's other, like, just weird, I shouldn't say weird, but there's other random labels going mm-hmm. on that were kind of putting out, you
1: know, noisy,
2: you know, punk rock stuff.
1: But being in that network, that was a very established network. Yeah. And it yeah. was a very established, like, you could probably get, did you guys end up touring Europe and things like that? Yeah. Yeah, because that's like, I think, a, a that seemed especially back then, I think it would be a pretty pivotal thing to be on a recognized label, yeah, as far as like getting a European I think, booker.
2: Yeah, they had so much discord, has so much goodwill, you know, and rightly so. That I think it, if you were a band on the label, I think at least for a while people would just, oh, your discord band will book you, you know, yeah, or we're interested in you, and um. They had a relationship with this company in Amsterdam who I think they printed or I mean they pressed a lot of records over there.
1: Oh right, yeah. Okay. There's a weird there's um international partnerships to be yeah. like basically like get your records printed cheaper yeah, yeah, in exact. Europe. Yeah. And then you don't have to deal with shipping them because shipping is still a crazy expense back then. Yeah. And they're trying to like make the records like six dollars. Yeah. <laughs> for a very long time. That was still like don't pay any more than this for a discord record but Uh, yeah what
2: happened um was discord sold like the first like dozen records i don't know they sold a lot of records and then the tat then the irs came after them oh and they got um screwed and they were kind of broke and they were getting to the point where they knew a record was going to sell a couple of thousand or i don't maybe more than that And in order to get that quantity pressed, you had to pay so much up front, and they just didn't have those, like... The capital. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The more successful they got, the more expensive it got to run the label. And so this guy, John Loder... Oh, yeah, Southern. Yeah, yeah, Southern kind of came to the rescue, and he was like, I'll help you guys. And so that's where the relationship of, like, pressing records in Europe, and then they would get shipped to Chicago, and then...
1: right. I know a little bit about that Southern world. I mean, yeah. Loader was, like, responsible for Crass, basically. Yeah, he re- yeah, he recorded early Crass. It mm-hmm. was kind of
2: a... I don't really know what his...
1: Yeah, I mean, and there was a Chicago Southern for a yeah. very long time, until fairly recently. I actually remember talking a couple years ago when that kind of was in a weird free fall. And kind of, I, I, I don't know if I'm telling tales out of school, but basically <laughs> I know this guy... Had They'd taken over Southern after Loader had died, and then the distribution business was not going well, and he offered Ian to just bring all these parts for Discord Records back to D.C., and so I remember talking to Ian about this because I was like, what is going on with this? And he's like, oh, I had to get a warehouse, and this guy brought a truck out from Chicago with all the parts for records. Like, it was, I think maybe oh, plates labels. And, and labels and printing material. I don't think this is, like, off the record or anything like yeah. that. This is all, like, a stat, you know, fairly yeah. established things. But then, yeah, he had to then warehouse all this stuff. But, yeah, uh, did you have any good uh, – where did you go when you went to Europe? What were the stories around that? You guys had two albums out?
2: Yeah. No. Um, well, Ignition went to Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, we toured with this Norwegian band. And they were supposed to tour with a Philadelphia band whose name I'm totally blanking on mm-hmm. from, like, the mid to late 80s. What well, was the Norwegian band? So Much Hate. Okay. And uh, so the American band, for whatever reason, like, a month before the tour, couldn't do it. And so they were scrambling to find another band to do it. And so that's we were offered the the gig. And just through, you know, the reputation of, like, Alec and Chris Ball and Dante, like... Mm-hmm. that was um you know people were longing you know had missed you know the faith and mm-hmm.
1: oh this is like the ignition tour yeah the okay. ignition tour you yeah, circus lupus yeah. Tour out there. so
2: that was the first time and then yeah um and so you're like what 19 or yeah something,
1: and you're touring europe yeah
2: that must have been awesome yeah it was really awesome yeah. first time leaving america yeah. yeah yeah basically first time being in europe yeah mm-hmm. for sure and then, um, yeah, Circus Lupus, we have been lobbying to go, and we just, um, and again, like I was saying before, De Conquerant is based. Oh, yeah, okay. It's right. a distribution center uh-huh. for Discord in like, Central Europe. And like the X and things like yeah, that? Yeah, and, the X, all and then they X have records. their own label. Uh-huh. Um, so there's kind of like some bleed over between Discord and De Conquerant. They're all very like-minded people. And so they would they would set up tours and they would make sure they would there was a van you could rent from them and there was equipment you could rent from them and stuff like that so um we toured with Uh lungfish and it was basically it was the only way they could make it happen was it was like basically get two discord bands for the price of one Mm -hmm. nobody like knew any of us it was like one of the most
0: miserable (laughs)
1: experiences of my life in like 90 or what is this yeah uh it's maybe 92 or 93 92, 93 you guys longfish sharing a van we were cram sharing yeah your... i
2: the yeah
1: you have a driver We had yeah, we had a driver. Okay, well
2: that's just every uh, any like horrible thing that could go wrong. (laughs) Did did you
1: did it lead to just like you get back to America like see you later? I'm never going to talk to you guys again. Yeah, basically, (laughs) really. So, but
2: we were there was like there were parts of the tour when there's um, there's like ten of us and a driver. A trailer? Is there a trailer? There's a no band? trailer plus equipment and we're just like we're basically like sardines. Yeah. I mean the drives aren't that bad, but it just like there's already tension and it was just like I don't know Was it like who's headlining the
1: show? Tension? No, we
2: no, we figured that out. We like agreed to like one night we'll headline, one night they'll headline. And we c um for the most part we got along. I think it was just like a long gluing tour. There were plenty of shows where like nobody came. There's like um there, the way it worked was lungfish went two weeks ahead of us, and they toured around Germany, and that's where you make the money. So they basically made enough money to pay for their trip in those two weeks. Then we toured with them for a month, and then it was our turn to tour for two weeks by ourselves uh-huh. to make some you know, money back. Yeah, so no
1: one's making money on the double the double Americans yeah band tour, but
2: they. We landed in England, and Lungfisher's supposed to meet us, and they're driving through. They're coming from Amsterdam. The driving through. Yeah. yeah. There was no tunnel. There was no tunnel then, yeah. Yeah, they're going to take um, ferry. a ferry. Oh, yeah, but
0: from Kain or whatever. Yeah. yeah.
2: So from France, and they're like, um, they have this German driver um, who... Probably still does stuff now. <laughs> he wasn't the most, like, together. <laughs> it basically, that was the other thing, was, like, somebody was supposed to do it, like a... Somebody who had a lot of experience, like taking bands like us on the road, was supposed mm-hmm. to manage us, um, like handle all the arrangements, and he canceled, and so we got this <laughs> guy, and it was basically his first or second first tour. Time, yeah. And so um we're in like southern England waiting to meet Lungfish. They're hours and hours late because their van had Amsterdam tags in oh. France. They threw drug dogs in. Oh no! Nothing. I mean, nothing happened. Right. But they were
1: just like they oh, got like it was lungfish. Yeah, like, of course. Like the giant beard. Like, but they the got cavity guys. searched. No. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so that's how the tour starts. Lungfish meets us after being They're like miserable. cavity searched at the France at the French border. Oh, man. We're driving this car. This. Uh, vw bus. oh like it's a, a mercedes
1: a, bus you're and it's a, a right side driver yeah yeah so it's like a uk car no well actually it's european, so okay, it
2: was a european yeah, so it was like yeah. it was on the left side but it starts um the exhaust starts coming into the cab like th- there was too much oil whatever the um it's burning too much oil it's coming into the cab so we have to drive with the windows down yeah. so we don't die and it's snowing and so it was just like
0: so that, first this is
2: this, this was like the first 3 or 4 days oh, of man. tour and it just got you know it's just like <laughs> oh man I can laugh about it now but
1: yeah if you're uh, if you're just tuning in we're talking to Chris Thompson uh, telling us a great story about being on tour in the in the UK with with Circus Lupus touring with Lungfish We're listening you're listening to ninth floor radio, ninety six point nine FM, KGPC. I'm George Chen. The show is called Well Futile. We're gonna take a quick break. Here is a track by Silver Daggers. Nope, it's a track by Lakes. Sorry about that. Mr. Nancy, Bam Bam, version B-side of that. Stalag rhythm. You have a lot of uh, you have a lot of reggae records, I right? I do. What, uh, what? What? When did you get into reggae? Uh, in the late '90s.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> I took some. That was the weird thing about like being on tour in Europe is like, uh, it was like all punk all the time. Yeah. And it just got a little. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, you play these you play these shows, and they'd be great. There'd be, like, five or six bands. And basically, everybody kind of sounds the same. So it's just this, like, onslaught of the same music for... And then you get in the van, and you got to go drive for a couple hours, and they're like, oh, let's listen to some Finnish hardcore.
1: <laughs> or, you know, like... Right. The driver just does it because they love punk music. Yeah, so and, and it just... And it's... I don't know. It's just, like...
2: I would just like to listen to
1: something else. Yeah, I hear that. And, Did you listen to comedy at
2: all? Um, I mean, I listened to the classics, but I never. And there was, I mean, there was weird stuff. I mean, um, I'm thinking I more some, like
1: like on a road trip. I think oh, that bands yeah. like listening to comedy. Bands like at that time probably yeah. was all cassettes. Yeah. Did you get into the crank call stuff? Because yeah, a lot of oh, bands for got sure. into crank call stuff. Yeah,
2: for sure. Um, yeah, weird gags, um, the Jerky Boys. <laughs> Jerky Boys.
1: <laughs> yeah, like...
2: That blew people's minds. That was, like... So, like, 90 or something? Is I don't remember. Boy- yeah. Getting Jerky Boys tapes? Yeah, I would have friends who were, like, into weird movies and stuff like that, and they were the first people. The whole, like, tape trader and, like, yeah. Yeah, video
1: trader... Cult, oh yeah, subculture. Oh yeah, I remember just trading VHS tapes. I actually remember one guy never giving me, uh, like, I think I ordered it from him off of Skylab, which <laughs> dates the story immensely. Which is the early two thousands, like, tr- record trading site. But it was supposed to be, and he was a singer of a popular hardcore band, and he was gonna burn me. I guess you don't say burn back then. Yeah. He was gonna dub me like season one of Mister Show on VHS. And he never came through with it. I never paid him, but he never came through with it. And I would see him and be like, oh, I'm going to get that for you. I'm like, yeah, I don't believe you at this point. And that was so hard Jerk. to get those Mr. Shows yeah. back then. It was very difficult. So, yeah, uh, Neil Hamburger. Do you ever hear those early yeah. Crank Call records? Yeah. There, at Longmont Potion Castle. I, these are all things. I should just bring these in here. I should yeah. just do a uh, Crank Call special. I was
2: There was, like, other weird stuff. And, again, going back to Mark Robinson, he put out um, – who is uh is it the terminal bar what is that weird oh
1: the red tube yeah yeah the, yeah the boston or the, i think it's boston but yeah this it, is basically what the most is lack uh yeah, simpsons yeah, characters yeah, 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 are based yeah. on like ip freely yeah, all those yeah. basically those and just Candace the guy 13. getting we can't play those on this show because <laughs> it's just actually riling up this uh, old man He's like, why when I get my hands on you <laughs> when I, I get, get my, my hands. Yeah, it's gonna it's one of those. Um but there yeah, so there's other there's this other weird there's some I don't know who it Tube was. Bar, that's what Tube bar there's this.
2: Um I there it's, was another weird guy and he would call up talk shows. hmm and I don't know who I don't know who it was, but it'd be like Sally Jeff- Jesse Raphael. Okay,
1: yeah. Um, well, I know Sam McPeters famously did that. Yeah, on Letter, yeah. Uh, not Letterman, Donahue. Yeah, yeah. We talked about that, Man, the insane. Donahue call.
2: But, um, but yeah, the Sally, my baby's on drugs. I mean, uh, my daughter's on drugs. Oh, that's horrible. <laughs> How old is your daughter? She's four. Oh my God, <laughs> four months. Sally, she's four <laughs> months old. Four months old.
1: So but probably the the European the German guy driving around was not gonna Actually no. their English was probably good. They probably just, just didn't get the humor of yeah. it or something. I don't know if crank calls really made it over there. <laughs> Weirdly enough, recently I've heard there's a guy, a South African crank gall guy. He's like a morning radio guy named Wackhead Simpson. So that's like if you like crank calls and you can Comprehend a South African accent, check out wackhead Simpson. I actually am a little bit tired of listening to him. Yeah. <laughs> but uh because that is the weirdest accent. Um so you've toured Europe. Have you toured anywhere outside of Europe? Uh I've been to Canada
2: a bunch. Mm-hmm. With a number yeah, with different bands. Yeah. Circus Lucas went up oddly enough,
1: like went up there a bunch. Um well, I guess if you're in Madison, then like what's the next closest to oh, Toronto? Yeah, but Toronto's like a million miles away. Okay. Toronto's like It's closer to Detroit. Yeah. Yeah, Toronto and Detroit are apparently really yeah, close. Yeah,
2: they're relatively close, yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: But, but we yeah. So you uh, I think in the in the narrative of your uh career, can we call it your career? Yeah. You like to call it your career? <laughs> yeah, my career. <laughs> but you're still having a little bit of a crisis about like have it, what you what about a day job or something at the time Are you thinking about oh, like what else yeah. you're going to Oh, yeah. It doing? was just um diminishing returns. Um mm-hmm. uh, yeah. When's, when's this period when you started being a booker for the Black Cat? Because I saw an article that you're quoted in about being a booker for yeah. the Black
2: Cat. <clears throat> they, um, so I came back. I got out of school and didn't, um, I didn't have a job. And then, or I had a bunch of shitty... Uh, excuse me. I had a bunch of... Um, <clears throat> I had a bunch of... Media, terrible? Yeah, terrible jobs. <laughs> I had some weird jobs. Um,
1: and... Is because, it all back in D.C.? And like, yeah. Are you, are you living with your folks? Or do you have your own place? Yeah,
2: I live with my folks. And then
1: when I was like 20, like series of
2: group houses. Oh, well, this is after college. Mm-hmm. I was actually living. Chris Hamley and myself moved into Alec Mackay's house with his grandmother. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you live with the grandmother, the Mackay grandmother. Mother, yeah, Dorothy okay. Mackay. Yeah. And it was she just like how are you she like leaving she you was... like worther's chocolates? <laughs> like like leaving giving you quarters, like go to a picture show. She was a fierce woman okay. and she <laughs> was very I mischaracterized like, the grandma Mackay. <laughs> she was um
2: she was like old and like kinda come into her end. Mm-hmm. So um uh she had a this Jamaican woman <laughs> who was her like
1: Caretaker Nurse Yeah uh-huh, curta- uh-huh. yeah,
2: She was hilarious
1: But so it's like you You two and Alec Living in the house with her, Yeah, yeah. And just like You can't like like You gotta tiptoe in If it's like 2am And no, you're like done No I don't with the remember show. She I
2: don't ever remember That being an issue Maybe. I never felt like I couldn't like Stay out late or whatever I Yeah I don't She
1: remember. clearly like Knew that you guys Were all musicians She
2: was Yeah She was kind of confused Because she, I don't even know how was she, she a little eight, bit of dementia? Or yeah. Just a little bit
1: of memory issues?
2: Yeah, just memory. So she would mm-hmm. just kind of be like, you'd just be like, hi, Dorothy. And she'd be like, mm-hmm. sometimes she'd <laughs> like, like, Ian, is that
0: you? Alec, is that you? <laughs>
1: no. no, it's me. It's one of the Chrises.
0: <laughs> yeah. One of the two Chrises. <laughs> <Exactly>.
1: <laughs> is that basically what it was? Yeah. She has no idea. You guys are like fonzie it in her house. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she's like, what? Arthur Fonz of Rally. She of Raleigh. Su-
2: she had like a, a suite in the basement, so we um. didn't. Like,
1: interact. Yeah, interact. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, and, and so you were doing so, yeah. this, yeah.
2: So then um, Dante came along. Dante opened up the, Dante had opened up a restaurant after Ignition called Dante's, which mm-hmm. um, he opened it up in a transitional neighborhood. And it was like. Okay, a, I know what you mean by that. It was a huge, like, success. And, like, I think he, like, um, I don't know, worked out really well for, like, three or four years. Then he kind of flamed out. And he, at that time, was like, "I want to open up a music club, so he opened up the black hat, and he so you were part of the opening, yeah, yeah, so he asked like select friends like, I want you to do this i want would you do this, would you do this and somehow I got like, I wanted to do like the advertising, but he was like, Would you book bands and I was um Cynthia Connolly had booked um d c space mm-hmm. and she like i don't know i I enjoyed her approach to music, and she like kind of opened up the space to everybody. It wasn't like this exclusive you know like discord zone. there's a lot you know there's like a wide breadth of like music going on, so that's what I kind of aspire to, so I handled
1: the smaller bands, and then Dante handled the headliners and
2: mm-hmm. big shows
1: so like like the Wednesday night shows or something, yeah, yeah, that was year or Monday
2: night, yeah, and the Monday nights guys, you really got to make sure a lot of people show up. Like, hey, do you <laughs> want to play here again? You
1: really have to make sure a lot of people <laughs> And it was 21 and up? It was all
2: ages. It was all yeah, ages yeah. space. So yeah.
1: uh, that seems like a tradition that's pretty I think that's unique to D.C. Yeah. It's really hard, especially in San Francisco. It was very hard to do that here. Yeah. Like, I, I used to try and do that. And the only place I could maybe do it was bottom of the hill. And it would be trying to convince Ramona, look, I know these are like, four noise bands, but I'd like to do it as an all-ages show. And her coming back and being like, well, you know, we have to hire two more people to do that, and it doesn't seem like a justifiable expense. So I remember hitting a wall with that kind of thing here. And actually, I wasn't even underage, so I did a couple of underage shows back in the day in Berkeley and stuff. But I just kind of always had this mentality that it was important to do all-ages shows. And I think that's how you. It's it's healthier for the scene. I yeah. Think. It's healthy for music. Healthy for music scene to have like different generations kind of intermingling. I think. Yeah, for sure. And just to have there be and, and a lot of it's very bar driven around here, and I think almost every. I'm sure Chicago. Yeah. It's like such a drinking. Town. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And D.C. is obviously like still like a drinking. town. Well, that's only
2: like, that's. I mean, I think other people would
1: argue, but that's the only way you make money, you know. if yeah, you're running it's a club, true. and um, oh yeah, yeah. If you unless you're getting nonprofit status, yeah. or you're just somehow, or you're like letting people drink in the parking lot, <clears throat> which is the only way to really do it. It's like unofficial BYO situations. Uh, but yeah, it's it's really it's crazy now in what I do because it's still it's comedy yeah. related. It's still in bars mostly. And it's just very clearly, and I just, maybe my idealism about this has changed a lot, but it's just like, oh, we are, like, the lost leader to bring people in to drink, and that is where the money really is. Yeah. And to, you know, I, I think that I was, I had to, I, I was very influenced by, actually, how the Discord stuff was, like, specifically all ages. Like, it was, like, a, a you know, obviously, like, Fugazi would come to town and be like, we have to do it in all ages space, we can't do it. The yeah. 20, club, and uh, so I mean, that was a big sticking point for me for a long time, but I've now thrown that out the window. <laughs> what I do now because also, uh, having a dry comedy show is very rough, yeah, it's a hard thing to pull off. I can um, see that. so, uh, Circus Lupus breaks up eventually. You yes. have two albums, a couple singles, yeah.
2: We uh, we put out a couple singles, we put out a first album right before we went to Europe the Disastrous Europe tour. Um, we like we recorded solid brass, that was like kind of it was a lot of songs we hadn't really taken on the road, and so basically we created all these songs. And that's when we toured Europe, we just basically played that record over and over. Do you still have the lighter? Uh, Chris Hamley did, Chris has the lighter, yeah,
1: he was a smoker at the time, so. so like it's someone still has it. That's yeah, was did anyone. Uh, give you crap like why why is there why is there a lighter on this it's on discord are you guys endorsing smoking <laughs> <laughs> no nobody that i remember
2: but what's funny we had a friend named leah and leah had had the lighter mm-hmm. and everybody's like oh that's a cool slider and so she gave it to chris hamley mm-hmm.
1: and then i remember going to the engraving place and we're like where
2: would you engrave this on?" <laughs> yeah
1: and then to get a nice photo of this yeah. of this lighter so like that stuff hadn't really been Worked out live as much as it was a studio, studio yeah. Album, yeah. yeah.
2: But it was it was weird being on Discord at that time because Ian really
1: like drives the car, like he's very much involved in everything. That's what I hear. Yeah, I hear he is very hands on. Yeah, <clears throat> and
2: um, at that time, Fugazi was just blowing up like beyond belief, and he oh, was. Yeah. There might have been, I think, in between that time. Um, Fugazi was just torn. Like they might have been gone for like eight months or a year, mm-hmm. and so when Ian's out of town, in some ways, a anything other guys are
1: running it. Like, yeah, s- but everything basically time, comes yeah. to a halt. Mm-hmm. I mean,
2: like if I mean they're still shipping records, but if there's like a release in the works, it just kind of like lags until Fugazi takes priority. Yeah, well, for, yeah. Of course, Fugazi takes priority. Um, also, because
1: they keeping the label afloat. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. So I'm sure for i'm sure there's a lot of that's how it's it supposed it's not that it's supposed to work like that but that's just by default that's how it ends yeah. up being for a lot of uh these smaller labels you have to have like a flagship band yeah and that's at least back then that's how it worked i don't know how it works now honestly yeah it's yeah. a little confusing now i don't know what it, or you're just like you're a subsidiary of something and that's the only way you make things work so you you got went to europe another time without lungfish
2: no, no, no. That, that was the just, only time. Okay. Yeah, we basically came back and um. so traumatized that I don't, <laughs> I don't think we ever recovered. Yeah, we played. I remember playing a show in D.C. Um, we really weren't getting along on that tour, and the weird, with each other, with each other, uh-huh. and the weird thing at that time about if you tour the states and you hate, I mean, that's what happens. Is you hate the bass player, you hate the drummer. I, you that,
1: just, well, four piece, uh, yeah, like someone's got <clears> to... <throat> Probably turns into someone feels like the odd man out. Yeah. But
2: you're able to, because you speak English, you're able to like, you're in Michigan and you can latch on to somebody. So Mm -hmm. you have this human contact. And then when you're traveling in Europe, at least at that time, you're traveling through Germany. I mean, people speak English, but they don't, you don't really communicate with them. So you're, so if you don't like anybody in your band, you're so like exponentially isolated because you can't like form this like day relationship with. You know,
1: and also it's just like a day. Yeah. It's yeah, like, yeah, uh, I'm in Bremen. And yeah, I can hang out with the one cool person that, that came to the show early. I mean, I've yeah. never been in Bremen. I'm just throwing that out as an example. Uh, But yeah, like that is hard to form those any lasting relationships there. Uh, I I've, <laughs> I mean, I toured when I had Facebook, so it was yeah. actually kind of easier to hang out with someone uh, like oh i'm going to come back to amsterdam in a month and then we're facebook friends and we can communicate yeah it's and a lot then more you do it. that uh, but yeah uh but the be- the best thing
2: about uh europe was i saw a ufo uh
1: okay With let's dan get higgs in. wait you got okay uh, let's, let's 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 parse that down uh you and dan higgs where huh? are, and where are you you're in germany we are driving through Sweden, uh-huh. going to Oslo,
2: and um, it's like you're not driving. <clears throat> There's No, a driver. no, I'm in the passenger seat. Dan- mm-hmm. Daniel's driving, mm-hmm. and it's like five or six o'clock in the morning. I think we might have gotten off a of ferry. I don't know. We're like, oh yeah, yeah. If you're going to Sweden from Germany, yeah, yeah,
1: you get off a of ferry probably. Yeah,
2: or or Sweden, Oslo. No, I think you can drive to Oslo anyway. Um, yeah, this like green orb
1: hmm And then we both looked at each other and we were like, Did you
2: see that? And I was like, Yeah, I saw that. And we confirmed. We're like, we both saw you. Okay,
1: what what was it doing?
2: It, it was just it, but
1: it was like well, this that's neon... great That's radio. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> just, uh, just radio. Okay. the sky slow, and bit of bright like green. uh uh-huh, uh 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 So it's just an orb. Yeah, it a a green, green orb, orb. Like a green orb. And a little bit and a little uh, space technology. I can't really speak to that right now. In my mind, you it, could not identify it. You guys could not identify exactly. it. exactly. Hence, and it was green and and had Dan seen these before? Because I feel like he would have seen these before.
2: <laughs> I don't know.
1: Yeah, but you you're the only two awake, and you yeah. see this thing. Yeah, so it's a weird. Bombing. Are you a believer I'm now? I'm ready to believe. You're ready, ready to believe, believe everything. Yeah, yeah. I I'm not super up on all the ufo things but uh that does fit into well, there's an i heard someone else tell a story about seeing an orb that basically was in place then just shoots off very quickly and there's a lot of people that have seen those yeah things. yeah i have not i don't actually ever spend time looking up in the sky but this is like are you guys like the only people on the road basically at 5 a.m yeah wow it's pretty like you don't even know where you are, really. Probably. Yeah, yeah. it was like snow everywhere. It was
2: like we, basically, in the middle of nowhere. There's no development, and yeah, and it was like, um, that weird like four or five a.m. sunshine where it's really mm-hmm. not. It's light, but it's not really light. It's, mm-hmm. it's kind
1: like, definitely not a shooting star. Like it goes yeah. up. No, 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 no. It goes up in, like two. Yeah, off in the. Off but the color, way.
2: specifically the color, was green. Because it, it was this gray sky and it just popped out. It was like whoa, neon green. Wow, double rainbow
1: this other story I heard actually did take place in San Francisco, and it was also like multiple people seeing this thing, which yeah. you could say in San Francisco, I don't know how long this one was <laughs> I also like this is i i can't this is a totally second hand. I heard a guy talking about his experience i'm I've not gotten into it uh but I'm also ready to believe that there's yeah. something out there just <clears throat> statistically it seems like there we got so many planets yeah exactly we if you yeah, just there's gotta be something. But why are they why would they be here? Is the other no. question, you know? Uh are you get much into conspiracy stuff? You get into like uh Illuminati yeah. things?
2: Yeah, I mean I think when I was younger and I discovered, yeah, uh I don't know, people talking about uh the Kennedy assassination. Mm-hmm. I was just oh my god, mm-hmm. how can this be happening? Mm-hmm. And then I think like the older you get, you're just like nobody I don't know. It takes so much energy to do, like, to to, or- <laughs> to, to orchestrate, orchestrate <laughs> these, like, elaborate schemes. right? And I don't think humans, humans aren't that, like, motivated, like.
1: Yeah, I feel like a lot of conspiracy stuff, it's like. I'm more ready to believe incompetence than yeah, exactly. true, you know machinations uh, at that macro of a level. Yeah. Um, but let me let
2: me take it back yeah. to um, the DC documentaries and stuff because I think it plays in as, like, um, I think the music scene in DC was just a bunch of kids making music. Mm-hmm. There wasn't like this. We're gonna be political. We're gonna you know. And mm-hmm. so that narrative, like similar to conspiracy theories, it's like. I don't know. Or like the Makai's
1: were aliens. <laughs> you were living with <laughs> Grandma Mackay. She was a lizard woman in the basement. Know. Like you never saw her. You just saw her caretaker. Um, you now we played before that Sister Nancy track. We played a Monarchid track. Yes. And uh, from the album I have to refer back to it, let them eat the Monarchid. And did you do the graphics on this? No, Andy Cohn did the graphics on this. Okay. He... Andy Cohen did it. And is, is there a band between Circus Lupus and Orchid? Yeah, or no? there was uh, Los more was Oh, in that there. was after. Okay, that was the. the and the,
2: there was, was a pre Orchid started out as a party band, and we were called the we were called uh, Orchids. What were we called, the Orchids? And then, then
1: there's another band called Orchid, right? Oh, there's Orchid singular, <coughs> yeah. but that was yeah, that was around two ninety ninety. Yeah, that's the guy who owed me the Mister Show tape. To be honest, oh, <laughs> like that is now I've now outed Jay from Orchid <laughs> as a Mister Show bootlegger <laughs> in the year two thousand. But um, yeah, but, but Fred Erskine
2: was in Crown uh, Hate Ruin. Yeah, Crown Hate Ruin, mm-hmm. um, June of forty four, mm-hmm. uh, Hoover. He. He was in the band and then it evolved into Monorgade. So it was more of a party band. Now uh, yeah. Was your,
1: that was your idea of party music? Yeah. <laughs> and By that it was like
2: we're having a party and it was like, okay, let's play some riffs and uh-huh. like I don't know. And the Let's Be the Cramps plus birthday party plus I don't know, something.
1: And so you wasn't uh you weren't taking it very seriously at no, first. Yeah. And I never
2: took it seriously. And I think that was like kind of the magic of that band was it was just it was there was no overthinking at all. Really? Yeah. yeah.
1: It's just like fun. Yeah, it was fun. And, yeah. and Coronado. Coronado. He's like a party person, right? Yeah. That's his. He has a little rep <laughs> for being a party guy. Um, and this record did not come out on Discord, right? Yeah. Oh, so, this one did. Um, here's my conspiracy theory. Um <laughs> Yeah, so
2: Monocredit had done a bunch of, um, we'd done a bunch of singles. I don't think anybody, people liked us just fine, but I don't think anybody was like rushing to like put out a record, Mm -hmm. and I don't think we really cared. And so we were like a year and a half in, and I we started lobbying Ian to be like, hey, what do you think? Like maybe it's time to you know like collaborate, Mm -hmm. and um, he he was. He basically just shut it down and he was like um, I remember having to sit like a big sit down a Sit Ema, down. A sit oh. down with him and he was like you know he's like look man uh he had like seven touring bands at the time right. and he was just like we can't there's just, there's and just the no, resources are not there yeah like you nothing's going to happen but then he was like but I think you should talk to simple machines mm-hmm. and so um at that time it, and actually, simple excuse me, simple machines is
1: a great label. Yeah, I yeah, I, I remember that being great. About. Yeah, they're a great label. But um,
2: he pushed us towards them, and they were kind of at this. They were trying to reinvent themselves, maybe, and so we were totally unlike anything they did. And I think everybody thought, oh, maybe this will be a good a good thing. Maybe this will help the label get attention because they're doing something totally different. Right. But unbeknownst to us. By the time we were like had started the process of putting out like music with Simple Machines, they had already planned to like kind of mothball
1: Mm. the operation. So it was just kind of the (laughs) are you guys the last release on the label? Yeah, I think so. Last release on the label, the label that told everyone how to run a label. Yeah, yeah, that was actually pretty important back then. That was also like a pre-internet thing it was simple machines had a guide to putting out records yeah. which that was really instrumental for a lot of people yeah, for sure. in the 90s it
2: demystified the whole
1: process and now isn't it jenny toomey that works for is it it's like a future of music or something like that i'm not like sure it, she does some non-profit that's yeah. about music and technology and uh, policy, music, and um, policy. Yeah, like, I think she
2: rights. was involved trying to get like musicians' health care.
1: Right, or, I remember you know, that being a big yeah. thing that never Artist. went anywhere. I remember yeah. that being on the cover of Punk Planet. Like, let's all get health insurance for the people on our label, and then it just kind of uh, didn't go anywhere. So, uh, now monarchid So this is the first album, right? Yeah, that's There's a first album. second album. There's a second album, which is on Touch and Go. Which is on
2: Touch and Go. Right. So we. Had done a tour there. Um, we had a bunch of songs. We had played in Chicago, and Corey kind of like surprised us all and was like, "I'd really like to put out a record with you." And of course, within a couple of months, the band like was already dissolving. So, so it's a posthumous record. Yeah, it was a posthumous release.
1: But that does actually like I'd say that in a way. Even back when when Ian is like, "Oh, Circus Lupus should be on Touch and Go," that actually makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. It does make sense. Yeah. So he's not like wrong about that. Yeah. In a way, and uh, but at this point, one only one of those labels is a functional. Yeah. So yeah. in a way, like it's just probably better to be on the functional label. Um, but didn't you guys also do a reunion for the Touch and Go? Shows? Yeah, we got together.
2: Yeah. We did one show. Mm-hmm. Well, we played two shows. We got together to play. Yet. And what year was that? Like
1: oh nine oh eight?
2: Maybe two thousand. Um.
1: I, Six yeah. or seven, five. Okay. I don't know. Whenever it would have there. been, like, what twenty-five years of Touch and Go yeah, or something yeah. like that. And uh, so you got you'd been non-functioning for at least what ten years, almost. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Something yeah.
2: like that, maybe a little more. Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, how was doing that reunion? It was weird. I don't think I don't think we represented
2: ourselves <laughs> to the best of our abilities. Where'd you rehearse it, in Chicago? Yeah, so I was in abandoned Chicago, and we had a space. And basically, the, we, it was like, okay, we got 24 hours to kind of, like, learn everything. And everybody was supposed to be practicing on their own. <laughs> and so, I mean, I mean, people were responsible and stuff. But ultimately, it was like, you can't – you're not going to be able to, like, function, you know –
1: what two practices and, yeah, then, yeah. and then a huge show? Yeah, yeah. exactly. So. That's that's a tall order. Yeah,
2: it was a tall order.
1: And there's a lot of people in that group, right? There's two guitar players. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. So that's a little bit stage. more than other yeah. other things, and they're fairly. Uh, yeah, you remembered your parts. I yeah,
2: <laughs> there's weird muscle memory, especially uh-huh. like the way I sing. So was just like, oh, okay, like it clicked on some level.
1: And uh, so, post Monarchid, there's Skull Control, yeah. which is also on Touch and Go, right? Yeah. Okay. So I think it was
2: like, Corey wanted to con- continue that relationship. I also think it was just a great band. And so, um, yeah. Skull is that Control. your uh,
1: when you think about it now, like of all your bands, like you know, it's like picking who's your favorite, you know, pet or child? Yeah. What? what where do you where do you land on that? how would you rank those? I mean, personally, I think I had the most fun in Monarchid,
2: Uh and I think, and there was just a flow, and there was like we were just like knocking out songs like Mm -hmm. crazy, and I've never been in a situation like that. Like Mm -hmm. um, Circus Loop is we kind of overthink things to death, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know. Other bands I've been in were just like we, I mean, it would take six months to write one song, and like uh, Monarchid was just Mm
1: -hmm.
2: was just cranking them out.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean. And then Skull Control, you think, is like the songs are shorter and more kind of to the point. And like, I remember when that started, like, that was a very exciting band. I mean, they were all exciting bands, but that felt like old school punk in a lot of ways. Yeah. It felt like it was just like a punk band. Yeah. In a way where it didn't feel like technical or anything. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Not to say it wasn't complicated, but like, it definitely felt like to the point. Yeah. Exactly. And and fun. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so, did either of those bands tour Europe, or did you guys no, get out no. of the, the US um, at all? No, I mean, Monarchy we went to Vancouver. Mm-hmm.
2: We did a big, we did a big nationwide tour, and we toured like regionally. Mm-hmm. Um, Skull Control did a countrywide tour, and then we did, um, we did some other like. Shorter, like yeah. Again, mm-hmm. regional
1: shows. And Were you still involved in Black Cat at that point in time, or had no? You kind by of the backed time I
2: quit, so from I think it was like ninety four to ninety three ish, ninety four to like ninety seven.
1: Mm-hmm. I was doing Black Cat, and then and you had a de- another day
2: job, or was that actually no? That was my that was my day job, mm-hmm. and I was like going to um, school
1: at the time. So did you do grad school? Yeah, I was kind of. What was <laughs> the grad school? What's that story?
2: Um, I like. Had thought about getting into medicine, and so like, um, so I had to go. I never took any like life sciences or like weird stuff. So I went back. So I was going to school and like taking chemistry and being a monorchid and um like night school or yeah Yeah. night school like weekends Mm -hmm. also like um I went to University of Maryland yeah okay and it would just like I mean it'd be undergrad classes but I take like. You already had your one a semester. From yeah, though. I already had like a so it was BA. like a second BA. Almost. Yeah, yeah, so I had to do it was almost I had to satisfy these prerequisites because there's a program I was trying to mm. get into that I never. <laughs> got into. This is part
1: of when you say you were having like a lot of different thoughts about trajectories yeah. for life. I was an EMT for a little while. You I were an EMT. Yeah, I
2: worked in the hospital. Okay. Yeah. How do you like that? Um. It was interesting.
1: Yeah. I know a lot of people that have become EMTs, actually, yeah. yeah, have done it. Some of them end up being, they want to become firefighters. Yeah. A lot of that's, if you're, or if paramedics. you got the, if you got the build for it, you can do yeah. firefighting. Or you just go a more medical direction yeah. with it. But it is, like, it's weird hours. You you see a lot of gory stuff, I'm sure. Yeah. 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 You see, yeah. How long did you do the EMT thing?
2: Um, I don't, like a year. Like a year. Year uh-huh. and a half.
1: And this is while you're doing the other training. Yeah. And so singing it's, in bands. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. That was the first time i had recorded. I had to take some like kind of, there was an EMT test I had to take. And there was like a Saturday morning thing. And so they went to, we recorded in Richmond and they went down to Richmond and I couldn't leave till like one o'clock in the afternoon. They left at like 10. I left at like one o'clock in well, the afternoon. Well, they're just going to do the tracking and you're just yeah, going yeah. Yeah, to pop just gonna in and do in. the vocals. Yeah. But there was a toxic <laughs> There was a tanker spill uh. on the highway on ninety five and it took me like it's it's ninety five miles and it took me like six hours to like oh my God, they shut down the highway. it was just like uh. a mess, nice. so I got there and like basically like I
1: had like an hour to sing and oh. then turn around and take a test and then, like a couple
2: hours. <laughs> no well no i I had taken the test oh, and then I the like test. hopped uh. in the car to like yeah. drive down there,
1: yeah, burning the candle yeah. For sure, both ends. Uh, then when does Chicago come in the picture?
2: Um, so to get into advertising, I went to this
1: advertising program in Richmond and Richmond, Virginia. Okay, and you decided this because the EMT thing, yeah, was yeah, a bust. that was,
2: yeah. I was like, I should, what do I really want to do? Or I want a creative job, mm-hmm. so I headed to Richmond, graduated from program, went to New York, but I couldn't find work.
1: To and, do advertising? You thought you were yeah. gonna be like Don Drapering? Yeah, in New basically, York? yeah. Okay.
2: So I was trying to get in, uh work in an advertising agency and it was the dot com bust had just ha- it was oh, like Oh oh two? It
1: was two thousand one. Two thousand one, yeah. And then nine eleven happened and then You were living in New York when nine yeah, eleven happened? Yeah. And not you weren't in a band at that point. I wasn't Nothing in a band. Yeah. So you were just li- yeah. That's yeah. That's gnarly, and you're like, well, like, maybe it's good I'm not an EMT. Is that what comes to mind at that point? Or yeah, that no. was a mine, yeah. There's or maybe no you had the describe, training. That's yeah. good. You had the training. <clears throat> if something happens, do you still have that? Like, if if you can do some CPR on anyway. Uh, no. Came to, no. I don't remember. There's a, that. Yeah. There's
2: a weird. Yeah. <laughs> Two pumps, <laughs> three breaths. I don't know. Forget Did you have that. to do the
1: clear thing? Like
2: clear. You ever yeah. Do that? I don't know if we were. I don't know if we were allowed to do that.
1: Oh, you, you weren't cause you were still training.
2: Yeah. Or even EMTs are only allowed to do so many things. I think mm-hmm. paramedics can do paddles. Mm-hmm. I'm not, maybe I'm wrong about that. Nurses.
1: Well, well, yeah. well, 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 someone will, someone will email me as the email account I'm about to open <laughs> for well, futile, uh, at gmail.com. Um, now, let's take a quick break. We're nearing the end of our yeah. thing. I just want to wanna be able to play a Skull Control yeah. track in a little bit. I didn't back announce, uh, before the Monarchid track, we played uh, Got Three by Bouse, local Oakland band, post-punk band, and it was the wrong speed, but a uh, self-released album. And before that was Lakes from Melbourne, Australia, cover of The Art Bears, Investment Capital Overseas. And that was on a compilation that I put out on my label, and i will probably play a lot of those tracks because hey i got a lot of those records i got to do something with them but right now we're going to hear something from a band from denmark croatian amore All right, so this is a track by Croatian Amor from Denmark. And Chris Thompson, thank you for being my guest on my very first hey, show. Hey, thanks a lot, George, And we're going to leave you out on a track from Skull Control, from Deviate Beyond All Means of Capture. And this is Camouflage. Thank you for listening to Night Floor Radio, 96.9 FM, KGPC. I'm George Chen. This show is called Well Futile. Thanks for listening.